that I'm really excited about. I've only heard snippets, but this child, you just don't know this child. You're going to meet this child tonight. Um, and the Lord threw her, so it's really cool. So we're going to do that, and then we're doing Holy Unashamed tonight. We get to Hebrews 2.11, and 12, and 13, because, you know, they roll together. So, super excited. Mr. Cole, if you would. Father God, you are so awesome and so good to us. We just give our hearts to you and we thank you and we praise you and we put you first in our lives and we say you are our God and Lord Jesus you are our King. There is none like you. We thank you for being with us all the days of our lives as we walk through life and, and, and even when we didn't know you, you were there and just kind of uh, leading us and guiding us and giving us favor where we needed it. You are so awesome. We praise you and thank you and put our hearts into your hands. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right. That's cool. Where are you? There you are. I'm going to go there by Dominic. Folks, that's better. Hi, Becky. Hi, Becky. The Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior to save. He will not harbor his anger forever, for he is not a silent God. He will not condemn his beloved, dangling you by threat of disgrace. And he will not endanger his beloved, cloaking himself in hiddenness or dangling you by threat of disgrace. No, this glorious God invites you to encounter him. His fathomless love, this invisible, all-seeing God, comes face to face with a visible, unseen girl, and their eyes lock. In reckless grace, this invisible, all-seeing God, this pre-incarnate God, wraps himself in a cloak of goodness to gentle his glory and steps into a desert to meet with a woman. She is as unseen as they come, an outcast, a refugee without refuge, a single mother pregnant by someone else's choice, abused, alone, seen only for her usefulness, hiding behind a one-way mirror of pain, and God sees her. He looks and he sees, for love will never be blind to the pain of the outcast. Hagar, he says. He, the only one to speak her name, he, the unseen, seeing her, offering himself to be seen. Ishmael, he says. He, the first to speak the name of this son, conceived in fear, carried in fear, never to be called unseen. Elroy, she says. I have seen the one who sees me.
in reckless hope, this pre-incarnate God arms his love with strength and stoops near a barley field to meet with a woman. She is voiceless and unheard, agony of dead husband, heartbreak of dead sons, pain of dead identity trap her prayers in an echo chamber of despair. She of all people should be heard, daughter of Israel, <coughs> descendant of Judah, her name synonymous with obedience to law. By serving, she became a savior, she the voice of reason, she the sound of strength. And now, her name is bitterness. She cannot even hear law above this tinnitus of pain. And God hears her. He listens and he hears, for love will never be deaf to the pain of the broken. Naomi, he says. He is the only one to speak her name since their beloved died. He, the master of silence, hearing her, offering his promises to be heard. Naomi, he says. He, the first to speak her name, redeemed. Legalism broken through suffering, suffering gentle through redemption, redemption of God and of kinsmen. Lord, she says, for she hears the one who hears her. In reckless love, this now incarnate God wraps himself in the fullness of frailty and skin and sits beside a table to meet with a woman. She is as untouchable as they come, a prostitute haunted by demons of trauma and abuse and of loneliness, captured by seven spirits of darkness, her presence enough to get her stoned, her touch enough to earn her scorn. Abandoned by healers and teachers. And God touches her. He receives and reciprocates her touch, for love will never be distanced from the pain of the abused. He says, he the only one to speak her name with tenderness, he, the unknown, offering himself to be known, the holy untouchable, receiving this dangerous gift of touch, the only one to dignify her vulnerability <coughs> with grace. Mary, he says, he the first to speak her name with resurrected lips, she the first to worship in new life, sobbing joy clinging to his feet. Rabboni, she says for she touches the one who touches her. Sisters of Hagar, your fear is not your identity. Look to God until your eyes lock, for his love always looks on you. Daughters of Naomi, your performance is not your identity. Lean into the silence and listen until you hear him listening, for his love always hears you. Friends of Mary Magdalene, your trauma is not your identity.
Reach for God until your fingers interlock in the sweet security of communion, for his love always holds you. For the Lord our God is a mighty warrior, the Holy One in our midst. Even here, even home, he is with you. And this God, this glorious God, will never let any villain lay claim to his beloved, for his eyes never close in sleep while he guards her. His feet never cease in this dance of protection. His arms never empty from holding her close. Daughter, he says. He, the one whose voice makes the mountains shake by the sound of his grace. He whose name gives life to yours. <coughs> Daughter, he says. Got to minister that to a women's conference, right? I mean, yes. yeah, oh, so awesome. That was powerful. That's very powerful. And so I'm in a unique position. Um, I've never heard that, but I heard this this morning, and then I, I had the uh, I had the blessing of of like you know typing up the lyrics of the songs we're doing today. Um, we don't really collude. We don't. We don't like. I say collude. <laughs> I knew it was a this, collusion all along. All along. This, this service, this service is not like you know. We don't overthink it. It's like you got worship today. Sure, here this you know, teaching's done. And he hands me a song list, and I just listen to this. I know what I'm going to say, or at least what I thought I was going to say. And I know what we're going to sing, or at least what we thought we were going to sing. And Holy Spirit's got this. Amen. Oh my land. Right, I got to take care of a little business before I start. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every bewitching spirit, every religious spirit right now that will bark when I speak of the liberty of Christ. And I silence you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, the love of Christ reign. Amen? Amen? This is holy, not misspelled, unabashed, unashamed. Hebrews 2, verse 11, out of the English Standard Bible. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. Oh my. I used to have this gag I'd do to my brother Timothy, my Irish twin. And um, Tim, Tim was gregarious, but no near, no, no uh, degree of gregariousness like myself. And he did not like asking directions, particularly when we were in the store. And so he would ask for me to ask the clerk for where something was or where we find it. And I knew my brother. And I knew me. <laughs> and, I, and he was the older brother. And I would go find said clerk and say, Ben here! Ben here! What are you doing here? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? And Tim, 
<laughs> Tim was ashamed to call me brother. I can't I, imagine why. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> he makes us clean. He that sanctifies. He that sanctifies. Jesus sanctified us through his own blood. Hebrews 13, 12. He sanctified us through his own blood. When you're hanging with Jesus, understand he's the one that allowed his back to be ripped open, his hands to be pierced, his feet to be affixed to a cross, the curse of the ground to be beaten to his head, and his side ran through with a spear point about this long to gush his blood out to wash you clean. I think he's rather intent on hanging out with you. That is going to extreme measure so that we can fellowship. The blood of Christ purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ is not the memory of your sin. The blood of Christ is not a memorial to your sin. The blood of Christ is the eradication of your sin. The release of your conscience to work toward God, not the conviction of your sin to keep you bound in shame. He that sanctifies. Hebrews 9, 13-14. I would do this more, you know, develop it more. But here's the cool thing. We're doing the whole book of Hebrews, right? So we'll be seeing this material again. In about six months. Hey, right about six months. Sometime we'll get out of chapter two. Kind of teach like I write. Um, all right. Those who are sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6.11 starts with, such for some of you. But, but you are washed, sanctified, justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. We were washed and the Holy Spirit poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not only did He wash you in His blood, not only did He cleanse you in the washing water of His Word. But you know, when you come out of a bath, you know, itchy, you know, dry, you took all that skin oil that God gave you to keep you safe, and, and you know, and men and women, you shave, you know, and you're kind of like, yeah, now the skin's all irritated, and you get out, and what do you do? You what? Moisturize. moisturize. Come on, people, this is real life. The moisturize. You need a woman do the men don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Men of my generation, maybe. Yeah, I put oil on my face. You know, after I shave, it has some rose hips in it. It makes my cheeks puff out. No, just kidding. Anyhow, after he washed us, then he washed us again, but this time in the oil of the Holy Spirit. It just... He anoints my head with oil. We are the sanctified. Amen? Amen. He that sanctifies and they that are sanctified have 
one origin. One origin. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 15. We pause for a check. Mrs. Larum? Where's Mrs. Larum? I'm right here. Right in my coffee. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. I want my wife to miss church. I feel bad when she does. No, I just... I got a week for that. We're all dancing for the Lord because he gave us spiders. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 3, 14, 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Is named. Don't forget, you got family in heaven. It's hard for me to forget because I buried a lot of their bodies. Hmm. Ephesians 4 verses 5 and 6 One Lord One baptism One faith One God and Father of all Who is above all And through all And in you all He that sanctifies And they that are sanctified Have one origin He is not ashamed To call us brothers Because we are of his household Amen? Amen. Christ is not ashamed to claim his kin. I'm a southern preacher. I can do that. <laughs> Again. You got kinfolk around here? Reckon. <laughs> Romans 5, verses 5 through 7 out of the ESV. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's love has been poured. You have a heart full of love. Now you could be cold. You can let love roll over you like a stone in a river. Or you can recognize the fact that the Holy Spirit has poured God's love into your heart. That means one, you're loved. Two, if you would behave according to identity, you are loving. Because pouring flows. And God, you know, God's kingdom, is it half full or, or half empty? What is it? Full. Yeah. It's well, a trick question. It's overflowing. Right. It's never half empty. Right. It's never half full. It's overflowing. And the cup's full. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I keep them around. I, I, I can tell that. <clears throat> For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Maybe. He's a good fellow, so I took the bullet for him. Maybe. But for a wretched, broken piece of whatever, would someone die? Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Check that. While we were still sinners. Who's he writing? He's writing a church divided by faction, infested with, with, with uh, cross-dressers, with with um, uh, incest, uh, with uh, out-of-order services, with all kinds of, you know, Corinth was a byword for a bad town. 
And he, and he says, God, while we were still sinners, when we were sinners, what's the takeaway? But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. To the saints, to the holy ones in Corinth. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint who was saved from sin. You're a sinner. Sinner is not your identity. God doesn't say, hey, check out all my sinners. Hey, you see my sinners? This guy right here, he likes to lie a lot. I like him. This one over here, he's a thief. I let him take care of my money every now and again. It's my sinning posse. I love him. I mean, God doesn't do that. Why do we do that? Why do we call ourselves what God doesn't While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Saved, saved isn't a one-type occurrence. Saved is the life you're living. And so, when... Our, when the Holy Spirit pricks our conscience and says, uh-uh-uh, broken man wants to step in and go, ah, hide from God, wrath's coming. Jesus says, no, it's not. I got you. Hey, Cam, Dad, that's my brother. Okay? Saved in this life from the life of God. For while we were enemies... For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Mm -hmm. It's a dramatic difference between worshiping someone who died for you and following someone who lives for you. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. We serve a living God who has given us a living hope yes. and a life free from sin. It's exciting. The Old Covenant couldn't do this. The Old Covenant could not provide transformative holiness. It was unable to. It was insufficient to the task. Romans 10 verses 9 through 11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, the problem is, we've taken this saved part and stuck it back here in this believe and justified part and fossilized it. And not understood that salvation is what? Walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do you walk out something that's done? You're living it. You are being transformed and pulled away from the wrath of God into His holiest of all. Beyond the veil, under the wings of God. Amen? Amen. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Yes. Now, honest. I'll be honest for me. I've had trepidation at times going, oh, judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to be kind of embarrassed. All this stuff's going to come out that Jesus knows. I know. Wait a minute. Do I believe in Him or not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Am I washed in the blood or not? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, the whole I reel. All the times I blew it, right? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to be put to shame. You're not. His blood, his blood, not my actions makes me holy. His blood, not my actions make me holy. Isn't the whole point of Romans 7 to show that they weren't saved. They didn't have the Holy Spirit then. So that's why he, they did what they didn't want to do. And it's, just, it's you have no power base to get out of it. But I think in our culture today, society says they fall back on seven and say, see, it's in the Bible. You know, I just keep sinning. I keep returning to that sin. And it just, it's because I don't want to do it. But it's, they're basically saying they're unbelievers. Yeah. They're, they're unsaved. Yeah. I refuse categorically and absolutely refuse to allow sin to define me. Christ defined me. God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, defined me. He called me His Son. He calls me holy. He calls me washed. He calls me justified. And He says He loves me. And I believe it. Amen. 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 I, Amen. I believe it too. I love you, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> His blood, not my actions, makes me holy. We don't do good works to become holy, but because we are holy. This is where we've got the cart all over the horse. You know, I got to work for God. I got to do for the kingdom. I got to do this. I got to do that. I had a little interaction with the Lord today. And one thing that keeps ringing in my, my head is, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I've gotten into this rhythm. I was talking with Linda about my writing schedule and how the Lord's working with me here lately. And so in the mornings, I, I, I've been working on Love Everlasting, and I'm like deep in the Scripture, and I'm having a great time, and I'm praising music. And uh, it's so cool that, that I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and be late to work at 7. And you know, I lose, and Heidi's like, "You gotta go," and um, and it's been great. It's been great. And then you know, I then I have then I want to go write my fiction stuff, right? And I'm like, "I want to write fiction." And I and then me steps in, not Jesus. Me steps in and says, "You gotta do your scripture first. <laughs> okay, what? You gotta do your scripture first. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I seeking His kingdom first?" Because I'm holy? Am I seeking His kingdom first to prove myself to become holy? And so I had that little chat with myself. So today, the day I was working on this message, I worked on it last night, I worked on this message, I wanted to write a little bit more on Valley of Wolves, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, I could do this, I could look at that, but, you know, I really, I actually last night, after page two of notes, I had enough. And I was on page three and four, and I was trying to go into a different... Um, uh, presentation software and all this kind of stuff and then I went over this with Heidi today she says you gotta stop right there which we will because my wife is right and um, but anyhow I was having this debate with myself early in the morning say seven ish eight something like that and, and thinking through you know well, I, I could just go with what I got and Jesus goes you look some more I'll show you some more you look some more I'll show you some more that's what I'm scared of. No. I, but I'm like, oh, you're right. I'm hanging with you today. 
I'm hanging with you today. And what he showed me, I pray the Lord give me strength to do without just breaking apart. It's not like I hadn't read it before. But I saw it for the first time today. Oh my lands, he's so good. You got to talk now. Huh? We don't do good works to become holy. But because we are, we are saved by grace, not of works as any man should boast. Unto good works. Unto good works. Unto good works. Ephesians 2 or something. We are cleansed. Yes. We are claimed. Amen. We are fathered. We are accepted. Amen. We are loved. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Hebrews 2, verses 12 and 13. Saying, he's not ashamed to call his brethren, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I could park on that piece for I don't know how long. Mm -hmm. But if you would listen to the shepherd, when we're doing worship, and I know it could be kind of like a mailstorm kind of a thing. You know, I talk long. We have one bathroom. People get hungry. I get it. And we're in here. We're worshiping. And yet, if you would just kind of like dial the knob and get on the frequency, what you're going to hear is not Noah playing or singing or somebody else playing or singing. What you'll ultimately hear is Jesus singing praise to the Father in the middle of his brothers is what you'll hear. Is what you'll hear. Now last week we had the blessing of him singing over us of his love. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, the branch out of the, 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 the dry branch and the root out of this cut stump, the one who was uh, cut short in his years and a eunuch to the Lord stands with millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and says, Behold, I and the children God has given me. That's our elder brother. That's Jesus of Nazareth. Saying, I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. This is out of Psalm 22, 22. When was the last time you read Psalm 22? Because Psalm 22 also contains this. It starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's verse 1. And then in verse 3 he says, Yet you are holy, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Verses 16 through 18 he says, They have pierced my hands and my feet I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. He who saved others, can he not save himself? They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Can you imagine Yeshua sitting in his synagogue, having an opportunity to read the scroll in the book that is written of me? Psalm 22 is to Israel what Psalm 23 is to us. And to read those words, my hands and my feet they've pierced. And they cast lots over my clothes. And to know that is Him. 
that he's reading about himself. To go to the garden and know that every ounce of human dignity, any piece of comeliness, which he didn't really have much of, he was an ordinary looking guy, was beat out of his face to a lumpy, unrecognizable form. Any skin on his back was ripped away from his ribcage so you can count the bones. And shafts of metal stuck through his hands so they would pierce the, the, the nerve and the nerve would sing in pain and put on a, on a, on a, um, in a distressed position so his diaphragm would not work and he would slowly asphyxiate while he was pained. And then to see the crassness of the soldiers going, hey, that's a nice club. I want it. I'll throw some dice for you. While people joked and spat and jeered and made fun. And to say, not my will, but thine be thine. He who washed us by his own blood, he who sanctifies, and we that are sanctified have one origin. Have one. Have one origin. I will wait on the Lord, Isaiah 8.17 says. The Septuagint has the same phrasing as what we read in Hebrews, which is, I will trust the Lord. I will trust the Lord. Trusting involves waiting. Trusting means that I'm not going to implement my own solution. This doesn't mean we sit passively on our hands. It means that when I don't know and I'm up against the wall, I'm not going to fix it. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to wait on God. Very frequently... He trains us in this by giving us problems that we just can't fix. <clears throat> that we have to admit and say, all I have left is waiting on God and see Him come through. <clears throat> Behold, I and the children... This is out of the message, Isaiah 8, 18. I love this out of the message. Behold, I and the children, God gave me a signs to Israel, warning signs and hope signs from God of the angel armies, who makes his home in Mount Zion. Amen? Amen. He's not ashamed to call his brethren. You're sanctified. You're sanctified. But sanctified is a sanctimonious term. <laughs> it's highfalutin, religious sounding. The problem is, every other word I find for it kind of sounds like that too. But I tried. I tried. I did. I tried. I said, you know, we just get wide with these words. They just they stretch. They become things that you know, we just toss around. Holy, sanctified, to give, dedicated, to give oneself over, pure, hallowed, devoted, set aside, chaste, saints, clean, consecrated. That's what you are. That's what you are. You're the special portion the Father set aside for His own enjoyment. You're holy. Because he said, that's special. Because of what he said. Because of what he did. Because of what he decided. Not because of what you are. The foundation stone was a stone of offense that the builders tripped over all the time. It was made of the same limestone as all the other stones. What made it special was God said, that's the cornerstone. That stone. This is out of the holiest of all, Andrew Murray. 
The bond of union between the Son and the sons of God, the proof of their bearing His image and likeness, and the mark of their real oneness is holiness. Is holiness. He goes on to say, Holiness is the deepest mystery of His being, the wondrous union of His righteousness and His love. That is, that is the most concise a definition of holiness as I've ever read. The wondrous union of His righteousness and His love. To be holy, to be, get this, to be holy is to be in fellowship with God, possessed by Him. It is not behavior modification. It is relationship. Always, 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 and always, not formula, but fellowship. Now, I want to give you some illustrations of the response we generally have to holiness because we're broken. And man's response to holiness. So Moses is out on the back, you know, 40. And he sees a bush burning, but it's not consumed. A burning bush, no big deal in the wilderness. Wildfires happen all the time. A bush on fire and the bush is green? That I got to see. And so he says, I will turn to see this great sight. I'm going to turn and take a look at this. When he gets in this conversation with the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, Moses, take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Can you say holy ground? Holy, holy, holy ground. ground. All right. This is an old shtick, but I'm going to say it. Any movie reference is not an uh, endorsement thereof. Should you choose to follow any any pop fiction or movie reference I use, um, do so at your own risk. But there's this great line in this old movie that I thought the transitions were great in. It was a great concept, and, and the movie was Highlander. And it was about these, this, these people who, you know, just, you know, they, they lived for hundreds of years. And what captivated me to the story was, we used to live that long. That's what captivated me on this story. And so it's a story of a warrior who's gone through centuries of life. But there's this rule with these immortal ones, quote-unquote, they can't fight on holy ground. On sacred ground, no fighting. And so he confronts the protagonist, the Kurrigan, and he's talking about, you know, the Kurrigan's wife that, you know, died like centuries ago, and, and the Highlander's still upset about it. And he gets up to pick a fight, and the guy stands up, and the top of his voice he says, Holy ground, Highlander! That still rings in my head when I read that. <laughs> holy ground. Demon comes, holy ground. Lies come, holy ground. The unclean comes, holy ground. Holy ground. Holy ground, devil. Holy ground. Holy ground. Can you say holy ground? Yes. Holy ground. Moses. Take the sandals off your feet, for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. It's holy ground. Joshua, prior to the battle of Jericho, goes out and he sees, he sees this warrior 
obviously. I don't know if he's got officer insignia, but he's an important fellow. And, and Joshua's a warrior. He's got one very big, obvious question. What side you on? You know? And Lincoln, Lincoln wrote, both of, us, both of us, you know, worship the same God. <laughs> we can't claim that he's on our side. You know, and that's a paraphrase. But he's like, <coughs> you know, uh, are you fighting for them or are you fighting for us? And he says, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I fight for God. And he says to Joshua, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. Kick your shoes off. Get your bare feet on the ground, because this is holy ground. Holy ground. Why take off the sandals? So you don't bring the dirt from outside, inside out. I love your Jewishness. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one. Say, oh. say that again. So you don't bring the outside dirt into the holy ground oh, dirt. Okay. Um, because where God is, it's holy. It's holy. <coughs> Is it an invitation to the utmost communion because there's nothing <coughs> barricading you from touching the <coughs> Yes to both. Okay. The, you know, native speak. In, in Africa they call it big juju. In, uh, in First Nations uh, they refer to it as uh, strong magic. Juju <laughs> thing. Christianity has a um, has the thunderbolt of curses, but it requires prophetic action. And if we, as messengers of God, shod with the gospel of peace, walk into a community that refuses Christ, our instruction is when we walk out of that place to take the very dirt of that ground and shake it off our shoe. And Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for that community. That's big juju. That's real. And the concept is, when the diaspora would come into Jerusalem, Jerusalem was holy ground. And you didn't carry the Gentile goyim defiled dirt into God's land. You shook the dust off your feet when you came into the kingdom of God. You didn't transfer uncleanness. But he didn't tell them to shake the dust off their feet. He said, take the sandals off. Take the sandals off because this ground's holy ground. Why take off the sandals? Well, because sandals are work of man's hands. This is the flesh versus the spirit. And the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And the sandals... Don't forget, clothing was introduced by religious observance in humanity. Clothing, the first clothing was manufactured by man to hide the effect of sin. Now it has purpose. I'm not, this is not a, you know, let's go natural kind of a thing here. But just remember that, and if you watch any Christian organization, any kind of religious organization, sooner or later, they will devolve into some sort of regalia. Yeah, I belong to this organization that prided itself in being organic and not being religious and not doing this and not doing that. And then I went to the first ordination service. Of course, it was, it was a doozy. It was a big ordination service at headquarters with all the big cheese. 
And they're all in robes. Yeah. They're all in robes, and they all have this regalia. I'm like, where'd this come from? We don't even wear ties, and you. The world is going on. It always bothered me too. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because sandals are the works of man's hands. Sandals are the works of man's hands. But God's crafted clay are the feet. God's crafted clay are the feet. Now hang in with me. Because this should be a transformative moment for you. Genesis 2.7 And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The Lord's presence sanctifies the ground of His abiding. Moses, take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. Why? Because He was there. Joshua, take your sandals off because this ground is holy. Why? Because He was there. The presence of the Lord sanctifies the ground He stands on and you are made from dirt. You are a clay jar inhabited by God, which means your ground is what? Holy, Holy ground! Holy ground. Because the Lord's presence sanctifies the ground of His abiding. You are holy ground. <coughs> you are holy ground. Every nice curve and every wart, holy. Holy. There's nothing about your body God doesn't like. He lives in it. You are holy. You are cleansed. You are claimed. You are fathered. You are accepted. You are loved. You are. Because God sanctifies the ground of His abiding and He abides in you. Our tendency is to hide from holiness. You familiar with the redemptive names of God? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, all these Jehovah Roy, Jehovah Rapha. You know what the most prevalent? It, it, the way we come up with this is that you know I am the Lord. The formula is I am the Lord. You know I am the Lord. Boom. I'm you know I'm the Lord your shepherd. I am the Lord your healer. I am you know, and that's the that's the formula. Yahweh plus the thing He does. That's the name covenant names of God. You know what the most prevalent covenant name God uses for Himself in the Old Testament? I mean, these other ones show up maybe once, maybe two times. This one shows up, I don't know, six, seven, eight times. Plus two. Yeah. Merakadishkin. I am the Lord who 
makes you holy. Used well above and beyond the I am the Lord who is holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. But our brokenness is to hide the natural, I say natural intentionally, the natural reaction of man when confronted with the holiness of God is to ah, hide. Nobody expects forgiveness and sanctification. No. It started early. They heard God's footsteps and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's the devil's trick because what happens? What does God's presence do to the ground He stands on? And he sanctifies it. He makes it holy. So what the devil does is he tries to cut the herd. Oh, get away from that. Wrath of God coming. Go hide. So the very thing that is to sanctify us, we hide from. And our parents did this. They heard God walking in the garden. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why did you hide yourself? Well, because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? I told you not to eat it. Got him. So Moses came off the path to see this great sight. But when he got there and, and realized he was talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Exodus 3. So the, the, the nuance here is pretty deep. You know? He goes to see, and then when he hears, he hides. He hides his face. Ezekiel, when he saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Yeah, I read the description. But he said, I fell on my face. Now, here's the thing. This, is, this was, you know, Jesus. You look more, I'll show you more. Come. God's presence sanctifies the ground of His abiding. And He shows up in the whirlwind, the Shekinah cloud, the four living creatures all abuzz and fire flipping through the gyroscopes of heaven, eyes everywhere, wings brushing, whirlwind flying, throne of God, brilliant and bright, and Ezekiel falls down on his face. And he said to me, Son of man, do what? Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I have been plenty of times worshiping on my face, and there are days and there are times when nothing else will suffice in response to the holiness of God. And yet God says, you talk to your kid, what do you, do you say? Okay, lay there. No. Put your head in the pillow. Stay still. Look me in the eye. I want to talk to you. No. <laughs> right? Look at me. Are you looking at me? Let's talk. Let's talk how? Face to face. Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. Now watch what comes next. I am the God who makes you holy. He who sanctifies and them that are sanctified have one origin. As he spoke to me. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became 
a living soul. God shows up in absolute manifest glory on earth in the most awesome display of the whirlwind hitting the ground. Ezekiel falls down and God gives a command. And He says, get up on your feet and I'll talk to you. Did Ezekiel get on his feet? Did he obey God? In a hurry. Huh? In a hurry. He didn't. No. Read what it says. As he spoke to me, God's word breathed the Spirit into him. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and stood me on my feet. And I... He gave the command and then he accomplished it. God got him on his feet. God picked him up. God said, get on your feet, I'll talk to you. And then reached down and picked him up and began talking to him. Oh, saints, that pun did me. God, forgive me for all the life I've done this wrong. His word isn't a command for me to now go forward and grit it out. His word is spirit. Jesus said that. My words are spirit and they're life. And when He speaks it, He's breathing the life in you. And His life in you works to His holiness. And He picks you up and you go. Oh, God is so great to be a New Testament saint. Hallelujah. And I heard Him speaking to me. You don't need to hide from holiness. You need to embrace it. Amen? Amen. Fear and shame walk hand in hand. Amen. John fell down as one dead at his feet, and Jesus' first words is, Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. We always go into our daddy afraid of the belt, and his first words are, I love you. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Isaiah 6.5 So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You've heard of a crisis of faith? Yeah, a crisis of faith? <clears throat> this is what I like to call, I just coined this right now, right now, from this day forward, I'm calling this a crisis of ministry. A crisis of ministry. Isaiah's a prophet. He's a cult prophet. He's done some pretty wild things for God already. And when he gets a vision of God, his first reaction is, I, I am doomed. Is this I'm undone. I am doomed. I've seen the Holy God and I know I'm not it. And not to overplay my hand, but... I have ventured forth to preach this word when I know unequivocally I'm not worthy to do so. And I've known many good men who have pulled themselves out of ministry because they didn't believe in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that they preached and said, I'm no longer qualified because I fill in the blank. And the Christian church loves to find the sin of the minister, the person who actually decided to go out and stick their neck out and try to feed the sheep and go, oh, look at that. He peed in the corral. Shoot him! Yeah. Hang him up! Skid him! Gut him! 
Don't eat them. Meat's no good. Anything you ever did now is a lie. Anything you ever did now is no good. He's disqualified, unclean, outcast. Burn his clothes. Yeah, burn them all. <laughs> That's the crisis of a minister. Crisis of ministry. And it's real. It's real. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a bit because I feel like I'm in a season, but I should just, you know, stay faithful. Uh, I've been in a season where, this season of this church where I just feel like oil is just flowing. But I, I've spent years ministering in this church where I've said, Lord, either put it out or pour oil on it. Your church. Bless God, He keeps pouring oil on it. I am undone. My unrighteous mouth dares to speak of the righteousness of Christ. My unclean flesh dares to talk about holy ground. My unfaithful heart dares to declare the faithfulness of God. My bitter soul wants to talk about the love that pours through my heart. Oh, woe is me. I have seen the Lord of the angel armies and I am a dead man. And God says, you're right. And he kills Isaiah. No! No! That's what we expect, though. No, he doesn't do that. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a live coal which he'd taken from the tongs of the altar, he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. I got you, Isaiah. I got you. And right after that, the Lord says, Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I'm here. Christ is averted. Christ, it's His blood that makes me holy. Not my actions. This is out of the golden altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. There's no veil of separation. See, on earth, in the shadow copy, this altar of incense is on the other side of the veil. It's in the holy place. But that's not where it is in heaven. In heaven, it's in the Holy of Holies. And the fire that burns on that altar came all the way from the bronze altar, the brazen altar out front, the sacrifice blood fire. Blood fire goes on the worship fire, and the worship fire from the blood fire purified the mouth of the unclean one and said, I qualified you. I purified you. I took away your iniquity. I took away your sin. Now, who am I going to send? Let's stop this. I can't talk because I stutter. Let's quit this. I was a whatever and not go. I cleansed you. I made you whole. I sanctified you. Are you going to go? Are you going to go? Yep. Are you going to get over yourself and get on to me and let's go? Yep. I paid my own blood for this. Let's go. Amen? Amen. The law exposed sin and veiled holiness. This is what the law does. The law exposes sin and veils holiness. So long as our walk in Christianity is just at the foot of the cross... We are in the revelation of sin and the veiling of holiness. All we see is ripped flesh as a consequence of sin. That's where we live, in the pain of the consequence of our sin 
not the release of our sanctification and resurrection. The law holds the whole world accountable to God. But the whole world may stand guilty before God. That's the accountability. Mm -hmm. The verdict is, you're guilty. Through the law, we become conscious of sin, Romans 3.20. If it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin, Romans 7, sister. Moses went to see, but then hid his face from God. But see, this story develops as all things do. Moses went to see, but then hid his face from God. But then when he went and saw God, and he saw God, and he stood in the presence of God, and he was bathed in the holy presence of God, it transformed Moses' countenance. And so the Israelites asked him to cover his shining face because it scared them. Because shame and fear walk hand in hand, and those who believe on him will never be ashamed. But Moses came off glowing, and the people said, No, cover that up. See, they can't film this. Yeah. Imagine Charles Nesson going, ah. See, he's not even talking about the script. What's wrong? Costume's all wrong. And the lines are all wrong. Well, okay, let's start with the costume. Fail? I worked on this. My brand. They don't get to see my face? Nope. All right. How come Aaron has all my lines? Have you read your Bible? This is a Bible story? I mean my right. Anyhow. He covered his shining face. His countenance was transformed by being in the presence of God, but it scared. The glory of holiness scared Israel, and they said, cover it up. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 9-12. through 12. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, His countenance was transformed in front of the thing that called the whole world guilty. In front of the thing that exposed sin for everybody. In front of the thing that brought death and condemnation. It was from God and it was glorious and it transformed His appearance. He says if that ministry had glory, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. People should see you and go, I don't have to wear sunglasses when you're around. <laughs> I mean, I'm asked all the time, why are you so happy? Yeah. Really want to know? Yeah. yeah. That's my most common nickname, actually, smiley. Yeah, smiley. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. I love the Old Testament. I love the Tanakh. I love the Torah. I love the intricacy of it. I love the prophets. I love the history. I love the Psalms and the Proverbs. Pale, lifeless, non-shining things compared to resurrected Christ, seated in heaven, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Holy Spirit abiding in me, sealing me for my eternal inheritance in the Father. Maintained for me in heaven where no moth rust, or my own stupidity can corrupt it. Far more glorious than it outshines a face that had to be covered because it was scary. He went to a concert and they're all up there with their smart torches. <laughs> and Moses is out there with his face. 
these things just come. I don't know. Um, thankfully they go too. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully they go. For if that was being brought, for if that what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Permanent. Permanent. The law was permanent. The most beautiful manifestation of the law that his disciples knew when he was walking on the earth was what? The temple. The temple. And so he's talking about death and destruction and all these things are going to happen. They're like, hey, check it out. we got a pretty cool temple. Have you seen the temple? And his reaction was, you see that? Not one stone. Not one stone. You know what that tells me? That tells me the Western Wall has nothing to do with the temple at all. Okay. Nothing. Why? I've seen it. Stack stones. Stack stones. No. Not one stone will be left standing on another. The whole edifice is being ripped down. Why? It's not permanent. What is? You. Permanent. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. You know what boldness is? Boldness is, you don't hide your face. Boldness is, you're open-faced. Boldness is, you're up front. We have other euphemisms for it, other phrases. You know, he wears his heart on the sleeve like it's a bad thing. Well, it makes it easy to check my pulse. I don't gotta wonder where I'm coming from, do you? So how are you feeling? <laughs> we are very bold. Christ's love and hope of glory makes us bold before God. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Amen? Amen. Boldly. Not ashamed. We're holy. We're unashamed. He's not ashamed of us. Why should I be ashamed to go to Him? Verses 13 through 15. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze to the outcome of what was being brought to an end. They couldn't even bear to look at the glory of what was going to go away. He had to hide it. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. It's still rules and regs. It's still formula. It's still walk the process. It is not the veil lifted of the holiness of Christ. It's not every sacrifice, every festival, every medal, every color, every robe, every piece of equipment that involved the worship of God, every piece of regalia that God instituted was Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. He proclaimed it in structure. He proclaimed it in ceremony. He proclaimed it in food. He proclaimed it in wandering. Every single experience they had at God's direction was a prophetic declaration of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Amen. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. They're not bold. They're not bold. How many of us are bold? We want to read the Scripture and we find the places where we can, we can make a cat of nine tails and be a dedicated Catholic and slap ourselves on the back so we know we're suffering for Jesus. How often do we do that? Pull out the blade of the Word to know that we're just, you know, we're just no good and start cutting ourselves in our heart because, you know, God doesn't love us. And use the Scripture to beat us up versus taking that veil away 
and getting set free. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. I'm not bound to my past. I'm not bound to my sin. I'm not bound to my weakness. I am bound to Him. And He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. He conquered death. He has the keys to hell. And He's not letting me in. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Why are you so happy all the time? Yeah, you got about a life. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. By the grace of God, you're not the same person you were when you first came to the cross. You're not the person you were when you first came through the cross. Also not bound to our denomination or to our politics. Amen. Not, not bound to my political party, uh, thank God, uh, to my denomination. I, just being honest, where I'm at my walk, I look at who I am even in the past two months. I'm not the guy I was three months ago. Amen. I'm not. And I hope I won't recognize this me tomorrow. Because I am being transformed in relationship with Him from one glory to another glory to another glory to another glory. And I want to bear as much light for eternity as I can. He'll outshine me forever, but I want to be lighting up one corner of New Jerusalem at least. Amen? Amen. Amen. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As He spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me, and He stood me to my feet, and He spoke with me. Amen? Amen. Face to face with Christ, in intimate relationship with Him, we are transformed. It's not by what I do, but who I'm with. Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.